What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Doing business like a CEO while saving like a CFO. Staples has all the supplies you need to run your business like a boss at prices that'll make your bookkeeper smile. Now that is an achievement. Everything from markers and pens to 2019 desk calendars. And right now, a 12-pack of Sharpie markers and an 8-pack of Expo dry erase markers are only $4.99 each. At Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. Ends $119.19 in-store only. What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did. Then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? Hey, this is Chris from Don't Let Them Burn. I want to welcome you to our show. I want to give a special thanks to everyone that's been helping our YouTube channel grow. Uh, thanks for coming and getting the pertinent information that um, you need to kind of guide yourself through all the craziness going on in the world and uh, the, the entertainment that's being forced on our kids and, and everything else, you know, um, you can reach us at don'tletthemburn.com, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, our YouTube. Check out our YouTube uh, where we put the pictures and the videos to kind of illustrate the, uh, the conversation. But tonight's guest is Pastor Billy Crone from Sunrise Baptist Church in Vegas. And he's come out with a new DVD. It's called The Rapture, Don't Be Deceived. He also has a companion book to go along with it and a study guide. So if you have any questions about it, I think you should um, order it. It's a very great DVD. And also, what we're going to lay out tonight will give you some inspiration into the truth about the rapture and what it really means. Rory? Well, I just want to say good evening to everyone. Um, Also, thank you all for for tuning in. Thank you for just listening to, <clears throat> not necessarily us, listening to the Word of God, learning from the Word of God, being inspired by the Word of God, being challenged by the Word of God, um, and being enlightened by the Word of God. We just want to um, thank each and every person that has been um, listening, tuning in, and also I pray that you're learning. I pray that you are, the knowledge of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is is helping you to grow um, greatly. Um, Before we go on, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, Chris. Uh, Before we go on, we're going to start off with a word of prayer and sort of just, I guess, bring people up to what what we're going to, what um, Pastor Billy Crone is going to be sharing tonight. Um, uh, Chris, we're also on vid.me, correct? Right, vid.me, yes. Vid.me. So there are a lot of diff- different things. And, I, you know, before we even go there, before we go any deeper, I would um, ask people to, hey, email us at don'tletthemburn.com. Um, if you have questions, uh, we've, we've received several emails that, People have asked us to 
share other things, those things are, are they're coming. Um, so we don't, it's not that we are not answering or we're not paying attention. We're definitely paying attention. We're, we, we just continually um, just ask that you, you know, leave your comments, so on and so forth, so forth and we'll get back to you. Let us um, um, have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll go right in. Lord God, we just want to thank you and praise you for this day. We want to thank you and praise you for your word. Very powerful. The most powerful. It is truth. It is light. It is life. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the way. Lord God, <clears throat> we ask you tonight as we talk about your word, as we talk about the revelation, the rapture, the things that are coming on the face of this, this earth, oh Lord God. We ask you, dear Lord God, to lead us into your truth. We ask you, dear Lord, to be led by the Holy Spirit. We ask, dear Lord God, that you would just continue to empower us, continue to embolden us, to share the word of gospel to a dying world. Lord God, we just pray now for those that are listening that they will, their lives will be changed and their destinies will be changed. We ask this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone out there, you see how the world is going and things are laid out in the Bible for you to clearly comprehend. But there's a lot of confusion out there. And tonight, our guest is going to clear up some of that confusion on where the church will be, who will be quote unquote, left behind and what it will be like in the tribulation period. This is supposed to be a, a blessed hope for us uh, for what Jesus is going to do. So Amen. without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest, Pastor Billy Crone. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Hey, Pastor. Hey, Warry. Good to hear from you. I, I guess I got the inside scoop that somehow I'm supposed to contact you for pizza. Is that true? Absolutely. <laughs> right on. Now the the question is how are you gonna get it over here without you know to keep and keep it hot? Well what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Chris to just go ahead and order it and it'll be there within half an hour. I'm that good. Oh dude, you're awesome. You you got the spirit of delegation all over you. This is this is great. <laughs> so hey, great to be on guys, uh, in all seriousness and uh, boy what a hot topic to uh to certainly talk about. It certainly is uh, the blessed hope the rapture obviously, as we know, but uh, unfortunately, what really drove us into this topic and to provide these kind of resources, a book and documentary and uh, Bible study curriculum is because there's a lot of confusion going on today. And uh, and frankly, it went from confusion uh, to questions to confusion to, frankly, uh, all of a sudden, uh, started getting these emails and people were saying, hey, you're a horrible pastor because you hold to the pre-trip position, and and then it went from there to saying, uh, um, oh, by the way, you are uh, working for Satan. And then it got to the point where uh, I was even accused of not even being saved, and I'm going to the lake of fire just because of a, uh, I hold to the pre-trip position. And that was, if you will, kind of like a last straw. It's like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, the the rapture, of course, uh, is a secondary issue. Eschatology is a secondary issue. And a secondary issue does not determine your salvation, uh, by and large. Although I will throw this caveat out there. Uh, if you believe that you're going to be in a seven-year tribulation, 
which I disagree with, but if you believe that, and you think that your being in the seven-year tribulation and your suffering is somehow going to earn merit with God and, quote, make you into an acceptable bride, as some would falsely teach, uh, that's a works-based salvation. That's not the gospel. So I will have that caveat. But by and large, secondary issues like the rapture, uh, we should be able to demonstrate our maturity as Christians, right? You know, there's an axiom in the church that goes like this. A mark of maturity is to agreeably disagree on secondary issues, yet not divide. So we should be able, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we, hey, if you want to believe in post-trib and, and I'm in pre-trib or you're a pre-rather or a mid-tribber and I'm still pre-trib and, and we get to talking about it and we you know share our verses and share our points of view, and, and for whatever reason, if we still walk away and and uh, disagree, then that's okay. That, that's, that's okay. <laughs> What's not okay is when people try to cram it down your throat, cause division in the church, and then get to where it's escalated today and say that basically uh, you're not even saved. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? In fact, other ministries, and this happened after we started into the project, and for us we took it as a sign we're on the right track to provide this resource, was we actually heard that other ministries, quote-unquote Christian ministries, were actually instructing other born-again Christians to not even hang out with somebody who believes in the pre-trib, and listen to the rationale. Number one, that's division. But number two, uh, they said the, the reason why you shouldn't hang out with these people is because they're not even saved. And they said the sign wow. that they're not even saved is because they believe in the pre-trib position. And they was like, you've got to be kidding me. What is going on here? And so that's why we provide this resource in great detail. Never planned on uh, writing something like this in such great detail. The rapture don't be deceived. And, and in essence, it's kind of like a dictionary on the rapture. Now, I use that loosely. Uh, it doesn't read like a dictionary, <laughs> uh, you know, not to turn people off, but it really is that replete because basically the first half of the book and the documentary is dealing with the biblical basis for the rapture, right? And and just like you said, and you, and you guys open up the program, it's, it's thank you, God, for your word. It's all about your word. Lead us in your word. Well, what does the word, what does the Bible say about the rapture? Is this really made up by man or, or, or does the Bible really teach us? So we took a look at the biblical basis for that, uh, certainly, but then – uh, begin to see uh, the, the issue is about the timing. That's where, that's where the rub is, really. Because uh, people with different positions, uh, pretty much all of us would agree that, man, we're living in the last days, right? But the, it's all about the timing of the rapture. When is it? Is it pre-trib, pre-tribulation, pre-seven-year tribulation, before that starts? Is it in the middle, the mid-trib position? Is it pre-wrath, which is basically three-quarters of the way through? Is it post-trib that the, they say the church is going to be there all the way through? And, and and so I hold to the pre-trip position, and so, but I also begin to – it's not just my theory. It's not just because I'm clutching to it because I'm believing in some sort of false escapism, as some would say. It's, I believe that's what the Bible teaches, and so we begin to deal biblically why we believe the Bible does support, in fact, the pre-trip position timing of the rapture. But then the back half of the book, it's like, okay, we've been under the microscope, and people have been accusing us of not even being saved for holding to this. And we dealt with all your red herring arguments that you throw against it and say it can't be true. And we dealt with it biblically, methodically, logically, philosophically. Let's take a look at your belief, and that's what we do in the back half. And that's why I say it's kind of like a dictionary because it covers all positions. And so that's what we did. We went down deep. Okay, let's take a look at post-trip. Does it hold up to the scripture? Does it hold up to logic? Unfortunately, our conclusion is no. Then we took a look at pre-wrath. Then we went to mid-trip. And then we went to, again, uh, the position on partial rapture. Right, that only the spiritual get to go, and it's like, what is that's a workspace issue again? What are you doing? And then we concluded with this, basically in a nutshell. All right, listen, 
even after all this, if you still don't want to jump over to the pre-trib camp, I don't know why, based on the evidence, but whatever. That's between you and God. It's a secondary issue. Demonstrate your maturity by agreeably disagreeing yet not dividing. Okay, but even if you don't want to, could you stop it with the comments? Could you stop calling somebody else, a brother in Christ, that they're satanic or, they're, and, and, or even accuse them that they're not even saved just because they have a different position on the rapture? What is going on here? This is all being done in front of the laws. People are dying and going to hell. And this kind of obtuse behavior is going on. What a rotten witness. No wonder they don't want to believe us when we talk about Jesus, right? Look at what we're doing. And, and, and so if anything, we're, we're really not trying to, uh, if you will, cram it down your throat that you've got to believe in pre-trib, although I believe the Bible strongly makes that case. But we're trying to, if you will, rope these people's behavior in, i.e. Christians, and to say, come on. With you, this behavior out there, with all due respect, saying that uh, somebody's not saved because they believe in the pre-trib position, or ordering another brother or sister in Christ not to hang out with somebody who believes in the pre-trib position, you're not demonstrating maturity. You're actually demonstrating your immaturity, and you're being a rotten witness to the lost. And so the last part, again, we try to rope that back in. Can we, can we at least come back to the, what we agree on? We're in the last days. People are dying and going to hell. How about we get busy sharing the gospel? Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. What you've said so far, uh, Pastor, is um, very interesting, and, and like you said, it's true. It's, it's hurtful, uh, some of the things that are being said out there, and we are all brothers in Christ. And uh, <clears throat> what saves us is Jesus Christ, knowing who Christ is intimately and living, living it out. Yeah, and you know, there's theories that are out there. Um, there's one where the Schofield Bible is, is it was made to um, make people believe in the rapture and and because of Schofield, this is why this is everywhere. And what do you what do you, what do you have to say about that? Well, that was one of a, we have a whole section uh, in the book in the documentary too. Uh, it's called Red Herring Objections, and uh, in that section we deal with this myth that basically the rapture is a recent teaching. That uh, these people, include, which would include you know the accusation that it's you know trying to cram it with the Schofield Bible, uh, that it's a recent teaching and uh, therefore must be rejected. Well, that's not true. That is so not true. It's not even funny. It's not true. <laughs> and and basically, it starts back uh, with the the popular red herring argument. It's a lie, basically. And that's what what they say is that the the, the preacher rapture needs to be rejected. The position, because it started, they say, in 1830 by a guy named John Darby, okay, and then he supposedly got it from this girl named Margaret MacDonald in Scotland, and uh, she was uh, involved in this charismatic utterance, this demonic behavior, which I don't disagree with on that aspect, and that that's where he was influenced by her, and that's where this whole recent teaching of the preacher position of the rapture came from, and therefore, since it started out being demonic and it's recent, and nobody else believed this in the history of the church, uh, it can't be true. Well, that is a lie. I mean, it's all over the internet, and these people make, even with all due respect, whole documentaries off that lie. But we really, frankly, couldn't wait to get the information out on that because we did our research. In fact, in the documentaries on the DVDs, we actually went to Scotland, and we went on location, and we did our homework too. And we were actually there in Port Glasgow, and that's where Margaret McDonald was born. And uh, she was real, and uh, but she is not the one where the pre-trib rapture came from. And John Darby certainly didn't get his position on that from her. When you take a look at the facts, uh, John Darby, uh, he actually uh, – uh, it, and it's on a historical record. 
that he actually arrived at the pre-trib position of the rapture in 1827. That's three full years prior to the 1830 accusation that he got it from Margaret Mendel. So, so case number one, he got it wrong. And, and what happened was he was in a writing accident, and so he was basically in, in hospice kind of sitting up, and he had a lot of time on his hands. And so, of course, as a Christian, he's reading the Bible. And so as he's there reading the Bible, he began to see the distinction between Israel and the church. And, and that's a, a big clue uh, that uh, on the pre-trib position. Because the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, Daniel clearly says, Daniel chapter 9, is not concerning the church. And maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it's dealing with the Jewish people. Well, he began to see that distinction, that there was something different for the church, God's plan for the church. And he started to develop with the pre-trib position. All right? So that's three years prior, so that's lie number one. He did not get it from her in 1830. Number two, about the relationship, so-called relationship with Margaret Donald, and that's in, what influenced him. In 1830, he did know about Margaret MacDonald, okay? but it's on historical record again that he admitted that what she was doing with this charismatic utterance stuff, and you still even see that, unfortunately, in the church today, uh, getting a so-called word from God outside of the word of God, and that's very dangerous. But anyway, he admitted that what she was doing was demonic and wanted to have nothing to do with her. So he wasn't like sitting there being studious, oh yeah, she's great, I love her. She's, you know. No, that, that, that's a lie. Then the other one, which we couldn't wait to get to this, is you can actually get a copy of this so-called utterance from Margaret McDonald. Again, it's historical record. And we got a copy of it and read the whole thing and reread the whole thing and kept reading it because we're like, you got to be kidding me. Because remember, what's the whole premise here? That this is supposedly where the pre-trib position started from John Darby getting it from Margaret McDonald from her utterance. Well, when you take a look at her utterance and read it for yourself <laughs> – it's not even – oh, she talks about a rapture all right, but she's talking about not pre-trib. It's post-trib. It, it, it totally blew me away when I came across that document. And I'm going, how could these people do whole documentaries with this accusation when the whole thing is absolutely, utterly bankrupt? And we make this point in the book as well as in the documentary because we also went uh, and filmed out in England, southern England, and we went to John Darby's uh, gravesite and did our homework there too. And, and and so – but they came to the conclusion, wait a second, I'll try to be kind here, but based on the evidence of this accusation, either whoever started this is – should go get a different job. Uh, go pick peaches, change tires, do something because being an investigator, it, it ain't working for you. You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. – or and that's, that's just being kind – or you're a liar, and you're lying mm. to people. And if this is the best that you can come up with, then uh, shame on you. Especially if you're supposed to be a Christian, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's ridiculous. It, it was one of the most bankrupt things. I, I just could not believe it, and we just couldn't wait to expose it. Because a lot of Christians, this one's thrown out there, oh, it's a recent teaching, John Darby, Schofield Bible. They're trying to – it's a conspiracy theory, and it's all demonic, and nobody ever believed this. And and, that, and a lot of Christians are going, oh, no, and it, the whole thing is bankrupt. It's ridiculous. And, and let me add this, too. We went further. Okay. First of all, the whole premise is it's a, quote, what, recent teaching? Now let's stop and examine that. So your whole basis that you're trying to get people to believe in is that you should reject the pre-trip position because it's recent. Well, we demonstrated that whole thing's not true anyway. But wait a second. There's another position on the rapture okay, called the pre-wrath rapture, and that was uh, started uh, in 1990 officially. Okay, and uh, But wait a second. Uh, the, with the, uh, with uh, Robert Van Campen. 
And, uh, well, wait a second, 1990? Well, that's a whole lot newer than 1830. So if you're going to be consistent in your logic and you're going to reject the pre-tribusition based on your accusation that it started in 1830, which is not true, by the way, but if you're going to say that, then you certainly better reject pre-wrath. <laughs> that's yeah. 1990. So the whole thing's inconsistent. But, but what's really inconsistent is it's not even true that it started in 1830. It didn't even start with 1827 with John Darby when he came across it by Bible study. It's, first of all, we base our belief in the pre-trib position because that's what the Bible says. Right? Mm. John Darby basically rediscovered it. Right? And but again, he wasn't the only one. Not only is we base it on the Bible, and then that's what we provide with the evidence, the biblical basis for the pre trib timing of the rapture. But also we went further beyond that. We took a look at history. So we took a look at the the early church, right? Post John wrote uh, Revelation approximately ninety five, ninety six AD, right? So we went from basically one hundred AD four to eighteen thirty. Did anybody else in church history Talk about pre-trib, believe in pre-trib, pre-trib, pre-mill, right? And uh, that Jesus comes back prior to the millennial kingdom, hence the term pre-mill. There was eight pages, eight pages of historical evidence starting with the early church, the early Mm. church, Clement of Rome, and and, and, uh, a bunch of the other early uh, church apologists. Eight pages of evidence of people who, on record, historical record, believed in, talked about, promoted, taught a pre-trib, pre-mill position. So the whole thing is completely bankrupt, and yet it continues to be recycled again and again and again. Now, one of the guys, because we're going like, man, this is crazy. Again, man, if, 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 if this is how you investigate stuff, go get a different job or stop lying. We got, this, who, who would do this? Cause this is it, and, and listen, I don't claim to be you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer. Right? Ask my wife. The peas done slid out of my casserole many years ago, and the cheese just slid off my cracker. You know, I, I, I'm not saying I'm you know I get this giant incredible detective IQ guy. I'm not even saying that. But anybody can come across this and discover how bankrupt it is. So, so, so to me, logically, I'm going, well, who in the world started this? This is crazy. This is crazy. Well, in our investigation, you know, there's couple, there's several different guys. There's guys doing it today. But one guy I'll call out, and his name is Dave McPherson. Now, Dave McPherson, when we began to uh, uh, investigate his background, right, we began to see that, believe it or not, and we provide the evidence in the book and the documentary, we, we began to see that this guy, I'm not making this up, he had a vendetta against the pre-trib position. And he literally, on record, in his own writings, his own words, he basically blamed the pre-trib position for pretty much every bad thing that ever happened in his life. and And so he... Literally, huh? which tells you right wow. there, you got a false motive, and so he literally had to find something to try to undermine this biblical teaching, and he started a lot of these red herring arguments that oh no, John Darby, oh no, Mark McDonald, oh it's only started in 1830, oh no, it's some Catholic conspiracy, and all this other stuff. And it was absolutely crazy. In fact, believe, tell you kind of where he's at. Uh, he he wrote books, of course. Uh, against the preacher position, and in his own writings, listen to what he said. He says, in fact, I know that the preacher position is demonic because when I started writing a book against the preacher position, my dog became demon-possessed and tried to bite my hand. <laughs> are you serious? And this this is on record, right? And we're going, come on, are you serious, guy? We already know what your motive is. I don't know why you think that the preacher position is the answer. And I'm talking about family calamities, his own personal calamities, why he couldn't go into ministry and all this. And he blamed it all on pre-trip. So he basically did whatever he could. 
And what's unfortunate is people would pick up his books, pick up his stuff without investigating his so-called research, and they just continue to propagate it today. But when you investigate his research, his false claims, and again, anybody could do this. You know, I, we, you know, we don't have like some secret connection to the Library of Congress, and we're the only ones who can come across this. You can, you can go out there and find it yourself, folks. Uh, this thing is bankrupt. This guy had a personal vendetta against it, and he came up with a bunch of this, uh, these baloney arguments. And, and, and again, that's just one of them, but that's one of the most popular ones that we couldn't wait to get because it's thrown a lot of Christians for a loop. And, yeah. and, and it's unfortunate because the whole thing is a lie. I also see that there are things out there saying that, uh, well, it's a Jewish com- conspiracy. They infiltrated this and that, and they, they put this in there, this rapture theory to, to, to basically throw the church off course. And the, the other thing I notice is a lot of people that believe in mostly the post, um, yeah, post-trib, they believe the same teaching that comes out of the Catholic Church that you can lose your salvation. I just noted that that correlation with them most of the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's unfortunate. It seems to go hand in hand. Uh, you got uh, unfortunately a lot of the uh, charismatic community that unfortunately it seems to be part and parcel with their belief system, and it's unfortunate. One because uh, the Bible clearly teaches, you know, that's a whole different topic about eternal security. And that uh, when Christ forgives us, it's finished. It's done. It's complete. You know, John chapter 6, read that chapter and go to sleep. And after you get done celebrating and shouting hallelujah to God, you know, what's Jesus say there? You know, all that the Father will come, uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. Nobody's going to snatch you. When we're saved, we're saved forevermore. Jesus, his atonement, his death on the cross forgives us of all sins, past, present, future, even the sins we don't Amen. even know about. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a blessed hope for all eternity. And then the Bible promises there's another blessed hope if you're of that generation. He is not only going to not appoint you and rescue you and save you from the wrath forever in hell, but he's also going to save you for the wrath that will be poured on this planet called the seven-year tribulation with his wrath being poured on this planet that is literally going to be hell on earth. Uh, that's a promise to the church. It's it's a it's a blessing, and yet you'll have people that say that uh, uh, one you could lose out on that promise. Which, well, first of all, uh, are you saying God can't keep His promise, or or flip it around? Uh, on the one hand, people that say that you can lose your salvation, they say, well, we don't work for our salvation, right? On the one hand, and I agree, we don't because it's fully complete on the work of Christ. But flip it around. When you say you can lose it, aren't you just flipping the coin around saying you could work your way out of it? You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either the salvation is 100% complete, as Paul says, right, or we're doomed, right? Uh, it better be complete or this whole thing's a pipe dream. Well, the good news it is. And again, what people do is they, they translate that unfortunate mentality that uh, you can lose your salvation into kind of they spiritualize the seven-year tribulation, like only – the spiritual are going to go with the rapture. And again, that's the partial rapture position, right, which is heresy. And it's like, no, if you're a born-again Christian, you're not only not going to hell, you're, but if you're born-again Christian, you're going to go with the rapture. And it's not based on your behavior. It's based on the behavior of Jesus Christ, right? The, the promise of being rescued from hell is based on him. The blessed hope of the rapture is based on him, being placed in Christ. It is not a works-based blessing or salvation. And it's just unfortunate because, again, that leads people astray. Because, again, and also what I've noticed is it leads to spiritual pride, right? Because have you ever known somebody who believes that you can lose your salvation? 
it's never them, is it? Ooh, oh, no, 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 no. Because they're so spiritual, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. It's you poor souls out there who've been committing sins. And, oh, by the way, who gets to make up that list, right? The Bible says that Jesus forgives us of all of our sins, right? But who, who makes up that list? You, Mr. Spiritual. Oh, mm. oh but, but then you, you talk to this guy down here. He's got his list. Well, it doesn't even agree with your list. So who makes up the list? Well, folks, that's not what the, the Bible teaches. When you're saved, you're saved forevermore. But at least the spiritual pride. And the same thing with the, the partial rapture theory that only the spiritual get to go, you know, because Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. Well, wait a second. Who makes us spotless? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't make our own self spotless. In, in fact, we even mentioned this in the documentary. All they have done is basically taken the false teaching from the Catholic Church purgatory, which means to purge a place, a holding place, to purge your sins. You purge your sins through fire and suffering, hence purgatory, in order to get to heaven, which is blasphemy. right? But they've applied that to the seven-year tribulation. It's like a Catholic purgatory to the seven-year tribulation, that the, the church has to go, they say, to the seven-year tribulation to purge themselves of sin, to make themselves acceptable to Christ. That's blasphemy. Not the one who biblical. makes us acceptable, yeah, exactly. It, it, the one who makes us acceptable to God is Jesus Christ, Him through and through. It's not your suffering in a fake limbo place, and it's not a uh, you call it purgatory, and it's not uh, in the seven year tribulation. It's only through the work of Jesus the blood. Christ. Exactly. The blood is what sets us free. That's it. We know that a lot of people aren't reading their Bibles, and the things laid out in the book of Revelation. Uh, Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, lets us know that the times that are coming aren't something to be glad to be going through or looking forward to. A lot of people are looking for the Antichrist and who is he? You see it all over the place. Could it be Obama or Prince this or this person or that person um, when we need to be looking for Jesus Christ, his coming? And, you know, you, you, you have a list here. Uh, about the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the timing of the rapture, the objections, the positions, and the proper attitude. Could you lay some of that out for us, um, starting with how how important it is for us to be looking for this blessed hope? Well, the, certainly the importance of it is um, it, it's it's called the blessed hope, right? It, it's supposed to be a blessing to the church, right? And in fact, Paul even uses not once; he uses twice. He says he's talking about the rapture, and and he says, you know, encourage or comfort one another with these words, right? Now, stop and think about that for a second. Uh, the other positions, you know, mid-trib, you, they say the church is halfway in there, you know, to the seven years, three and a half years. Uh, pre-wrath, basically, they say the church is in there three quarters a year. Post-trib, basically saying you're in there the whole seven years, right? So wait a second. Uh, this is hell on earth. As Jesus said, the seventh tribulation, speaking of that time, it's the worst time in the history of mankind. It's so horrible that unless God shortened the time frame, no one would survive. The whole, everybody would be completely wiped out. It, it's, it's horrific, right? So wait a second. It, how, how, how am I supposed to encourage myself if I'm in hell on earth for three and a half years? How am I supposed to comfort one another? Hey, brother, I want to tell you some good news. <laughs> man, you're going to have to suffer the worst time in your life like you can't believe, man, for seven years nonstop. God's wrath being poured on the planet. Right? Ooh, don't you feel better now? It, it, it makes absolutely uh, uh, mishmash of the promise of, of this, the rapture. The, the rapture is to be a blessing to it. That's the importance of it. But these other uh, passages take that away. It, l- let me give you just a, a little just quick outline, general outline 
of why it's an encouragement uh, to know about the truth of the rapture and the pre-trib position that the church is out of here before the whole thing begins, right? Here's just a smattering of what's going to take place during that final week of Daniel's seventh prophecy, the seven-year tribulation. Uh, you're, it's going to start off, of course, with the rise of the Antichrist, and he's going to take over the planet with his false peace and false utopia, but that doesn't last long, because then you get into a global war, and then after that you see a global famine. Then after that there's going to be a global global slaughter of the planet. One-fourth of mankind is going to be killed by the sword, famine, plagues, and wild beasts. One fourth. That happened today. It's about two billion people Bang! And just one fell swoop in a big uh, uh, shot. Uh, people are going to be martyred, slaughtered like flies during this uh, period. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a global earthquake. The sun's going to turn black. The moon's going to turn red. Asteroids are going to fall to the earth. The sky is literally going to receive. Mountains and islands are removed from their places. People are literally going to start dropping uh, with fear and having heart attacks. But you're just getting started because that's the first half. The second half, then hail and fire smashes into the earth. you got one-third of the earth, one-third of the tree. All the green grass is burned up. Then you got this huge asteroid smashing into the planet. One third of the sea dies. One third of the ships destroyed. Then you got a blazing comet, and it goes over and poisons uh, all the fresh water. One third of the rivers and fresh water are bitter, and many people die. The scripture says. Then you got a solar smiting. You got one third of the sun and moon, and the stars are struck, and one third of the day and night is without light. And then all of a sudden, Satan releases demon hordes of locusts, and, and people are being tortured who receive the mark of the beast for five months nonstop. It's such horrible. To a daily, constant torment from them. It says they, they want to die, but death eludes them. God won't allow them to die as part of their punishment. Then four angels are loose from the river Euphrates. One-third of mankind is killed. About another two billion people goes in that. That's four billion so far. And then you're still not done. Now you get into the bold judgments. You've got ugly, painful sores break out on those who receive the mark of the beast. All the sea, not one-third, all the sea turns to blood. All the sea creatures die. And then the next one, all rivers and all fresh water turn into blood. The sun gets cranked up, scorches people with fire. They curse God because of their pain. The kingdom of the Antichrist is finally plunged into darkness. The Euphrates is dried up. It prepares the way for the kings of the east to prepare them for the battle of Armageddon. And then Satan does it again. Uh, three evil frog-like spirits deceive the world. They come out of the mouth of Satan, the Antichrist, and a false prophet to dupe the world to try to take on God at the battle of Armageddon. And then finally, the final bowl comes out, and God makes a pronouncement. It is done. And then the greatest of all earthquakes takes place. Jerusalem gets split into three. All the cities on the whole planet uh, are completely collapsed. Uh, Babylon, the one world religion harlot that worked with the Antichrist, is destroyed. All the islands, all the mountains are gone on the planet. A massive hailstorm uh, strikes the planet. Hailstorm 100 pounds each. Uh, and, and then, of course, it culminates with Jesus coming back to the seventh com uh, second coming uh, with the church, uh, Revelation 19. And he puts it down, and it says there that at the Battle of Armageddon, the blood is as high as – uh, uh, a horse's bridle, 1,600 stadia, that, that is this. The blood is as high as four feet deep for 200 miles. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that's a bad time. That's a time that I don't want to be a part of. Hmm. Well, no you wonder Paul course? says, hey, tell you what, you might have it rough now. Huh? But uh, <laughs> praise God, encourage one another with these words. <laughs> You're not going to yeah. be there, Christian. You're not going to yeah. be there. right? Oh, oh, but again, flip it around. Flip it around. How would you like to go through half of that? Hmm. How would you like to go three quarters of that? How would you like to go through all of that and then try to explain to somebody, why did Paul say encourage or comfort one another with these words? Excuse me? Makes absolutely no sense. And, and again, that's just part of the importance of the rapture. It's to be a blessing. It's to be a blessed hope. 
All these other positions take that away from the Christian. Okay, But it also does something else for the Christian, right? Because even though we're not there right, in the seven-year tribulation, because it is a time when God pours out his wrath nonstop for seven years on the planet, and he's very clear in the scripture that we are not appointed unto wrath. Okay, But it's also a time to encourage us as Christians to get busy, right? To get busy, right? Because it gets, and this is another red herring argument. If you say, well, you know, people preaching the preacher of rapture, man, it, it teaches Christians to, to get lazy and to lay around and what? It's, what? What are you talking about? Uh, in, in fact, when you believe in the pre-trib rapture, i.e. that it could happen at any moment, even while we're doing this interview, okay, then guess what that does? It causes you to get rid of any sense of procrastination. It cleans up your life, and it causes you to get busy sharing the gospel. It, 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 it's the exact opposite of the false claim that it makes us lazy. It makes us more active for Jesus. Why? Because he's coming back, and he can come back at any moment. Right, and, and and I always had an instructor that said this. Right, he says, "Hey, you know, the Bible says that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, right, uh, Romans chapter eleven, that God's eyesight, mm-hmm. if you will, is going to go back on the Jewish people. Hence, the seven year tribulation. Right, and he says, so only God knows who is that last Gentile to who's that last person that's going to get saved. You know, uh, and he said, but wouldn't it be cool if God used you, if God used you." To lead that last soul to Christ before the seven-year tribulation began, you know, that we left, we left at the rapture and then seven-year tribulation. Wouldn't it be cool if he used you to lead that person? And you're sitting there and you're holding hands and you're saying, and in Jesus' name, amen. And you'd left in the rapture. I mean, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of fun to think about. But if you stop and think about it, that's reality. In fact, if you stop and think about it, what's reality with the pre-trib imminency of the rapture? Christ can come back. Really, truly, any moment. And the fact is, he is going to find you doing something. What's he going to find you doing? Are you leading that soul Mm. to Christ? Or are you goofing off? You watching TV? Yeah, you out being worldly, partying? In fact, when's the last time you did share the gospel? In fact, how is Mm. your life with Christ? Is it holy? The pre-trib position, when you really understand what the scripture is saying, the importance of it is, uh uh-oh. I better stop goofing off. Not only exactly. uh, I better get busy sharing the gospel. And yes, I know I'm not going to be there, but this might be my last day, my last chance, my last night, my last moment, my last minute to share the gospel with my loved one, my coworker, my neighbor. The pre-trib position spurs on so much activity, re- removes any sense of procrastination or laziness. It's not even crazy, and yet this is the red herring argument. Oh, it produces laziness. What are you talking about? This is crazy. Mm. Right? I, I don't want to be found sinning or goofing off or being worldly when Christ comes back and get me. I don't want that to be the last thing before I leave this earth. You know, I, yeah. I, I love him. I'm grateful that my salvation is complete, that, that, I, that it's a gift from him, that it's not based on my behavior. I love him. I don't want him I don't want to, I, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want, I don't want him showing up and I'm, I'm doing something that would, that would hurt him, that would b- bring disgrace on the whoa. And so it's like so, so guess what? And because it could happen at any moment, uh, it makes you think twice about getting lazy, spiritually lazy. But again, it makes you think twice about, hey, listen, no, no, you better share the gospel now. No, you better yeah. risk that relationship now, because tomorrow. Yeah, praise God, we're not going into the seven-year tribulation. And comfort one another with these words. But you know what? This might be your last chance. 
Yeah, when I told them, you know, 15 times, they still don't. Exactly. Hey, well, so what? You may not be here. You really want them left behind? I just read just a smattering of what it's going to be like. And, oh, by the way, that's not even mentioning hell for all eternity. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. What? So, uh, and again, but now let's flip it around. Let's flip it around. Again, that's what we do in the book. Okay, so that, that answers that accusation. Right? The importance of the rapture is what? It's a blessing to the church. Number two, it cleans up the church and motivates the church, even though you would sit there and say it makes us lazy. That's not true. But whose position potentially makes somebody lazy? Think about it. Preacher of rapture says it can happen at any moment. Right? Instantly gets rid of procrastination and worldliness and laziness spiritually all the way around. But wait a second. If you believe in the mid-trip position, then once you're in the seven-year tribulation – once you put the church in the seven-year tribulation, no matter the position, mid-trib, pre-rat, three-quarters of the way through basically, or post-trib all the way through, Absolutely. you can time your laziness. Yep. yep. Think about it. Because if you're mid-trib, I know exactly what that midpoint is. It's when the abomination desolation occurs, when the Antichrist goes into the seven-year tribulation. The Bible is very clear about that. Everybody basically agrees on that. Okay, typically. And and so that means, oh, I got I got all these seals to go through. So I tell you what, once I see the Sixth seal. <laughs> you know, no, no, I'm going to play it safe. You know, just in case. I'm going to wait till the fifth seal unleashes. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, hey, the first four, pff, whatever. You know, party time, party time. You know, it's your position, if you think about it, if it were true, it's not. I, don't, I disagree with it. But it's your position that actually produces laziness. Because once mm. you're in the seven year tribulation, you could time your disobedience and a laziness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pastor, <clears throat> when I look at um, the Old Testament and I look at and I see what happened when judgment came on the earth first with Noah, that didn't happen. When judgment came, when we looked at um, Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, the people were taken out, the believers. Remember, um, Abraham went to God and said, surely if there's... 50 people there, if there's 45 people there. And God, before his judgment came, he removed those people. Yeah, well, which, which again, that's, that's again, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in the, preach, uh, the rapture because, you know, this is some form of escapism. And we got to deal with reality. We got to, you know, we got to deal with suffering that's coming down the pipe. Well, first of all, general suffering, okay, this is where people get confused. General suffering, which we are promised in Scripture, right? Uh, is not the same thing as the seven-year tribulation. The seven-year tribulation is not pouring to God's wrath. And again, maybe we'll get into that later. But it's also not just a, a different time frame. This is nothing different than what God has done throughout the Scripture. Okay, Old and New Testament. And you brought up the classic examples with Noah and then Lot, uh, and then, of course, the great example with, with Enoch, right? So it, you sit there and say it's a form of escapism because, because – uh, uh, people get to escape this horrible time, and they deserve to suffer like everybody else. Well, well, what about Noah? Noah wasn't suffering. And then you actually, when you bring that up, people actually they'll they'll say, well, Noah was actually a case of uh, it's it's a typology of the church in the seven year tribulation being preserved uh, in the judgment. Mm. Uh, and as some people would say, well, well, hold on a second. First of all, there is no preserving going on in the seven year tribulation. Look at the fifth seal. People are being slaughtered like flies, right? So there's no preserving yeah. going on. So that's that's crazy. Plus Noah, okay. If in fact Noah, where was he? Okay, he was above the waters. Now, if you want to say he's was in 
the 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 wrath, you know, and things of that nature, and he was in the judgment. I think God would have told him to build a submarine, but he's a boat. He's floating on top, right? He's above it all, just like the church is going to be above it all, right? In heaven, Amen. right? It's it's crazy. So there's no preserving, you know, as they say in the seventh, because because and guess what? He was spared from that. And you're absolutely right, Roy. When did it start? It didn't start until the door of the ark was closed. Not one drop of rain exactly. fell until uh, the ark, the door was closed. And not one bit of God's wrath is going to be poured on this uh, planet until his church is safely enclosed and taken with Christ at the rapture. But again, that's just no a lot. What's the exact same example? Right? Is this a form of escapism? You're not dealing with reality? <laughs> no, it's another example. Right? This is nothing foreign that God does. He does it. He's done it many times in the scripture. Right? And again, did Noah warn people? Yeah, but they didn't listen. So guess what? They paid a horrible price. Right? Uh, and and even Lot. Lot tried to warn even his own family. They wouldn't even listen to him. So it was only him and his daughters that got to go. His wife did, but then she turned around and turned to a pillow of saw. Right? So again, people were also forewarned, but they didn't want to listen. Right? And so they paid a price. But when did the when did the the fire and the, the sulfur come down in Lot? Not until and Lot and his daughters were completely safe. Exact same thing. Teaching with the preacher position of the rapture. Right? Not one fire, if you will, from God and his wrath from his throne is going to be thrust on this planet until his church is safely taken away. And then, of course, the great example is with Enoch. And it literally says that Enoch, of course, he walked with God, and then he was what? He was no more, right? And that uh, God, what, took him away. And so that's what's going to happen. It's the same thing. And this is in the Old Testament, right? People want to say, it's a form of escapism. Well, how do you explain Noah? How do you explain Lot? How do you explain Enoch? Right? Or rather, is God being consistent, Old Testament, New Testament, that just like he uh, judged the planet the first time with the worldwide flood, hey, he's going to do it again with the seven-year tribulation. And it's the same thing. In fact, if you think about it, we have a similar message that people mock about, don't they, right? Can you imagine Noah's day? Right? In Noah's day? And he keeps – I I tell you what, guys. uh, You're already making fun of me because I'm making this big boat, Right? But I'm telling you, uh, you need to get into this boat, right? The boat is the only place that you're going to be safe, right? And and this will save from what? Well, you're going to see this. You're going to see something come from the sky, right? It's called rain. I know you've never seen it before, right? But it's going to come from the sky. But it ain't going to stop. And God is going to deluge this planet, and uh, He's going to wipe everybody out, right? So the only way out is in this boat, right? Ah ha ha ha! You know they must have laughed at him, you know. And and uh, until the first raindrop fell. But it was too late. The door was closed. And can you imagine the people maybe very possibly beaten on the ark? No. Boom, 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 boom. What a very sad state of affairs. But again, it's the same thing that we're saying today. What are we saying? Hey, okay, listen. I know you guys are making fun of me because I keep talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And then I'm refraining from all the wickedness of this world system. Okay, I got you. But I'm telling you, you got to get in Christ. If you don't get in Christ, if you don't trust in this other ark, the cross of Christ, that's the only way out of this mess. If you don't do that, you're doomed because you're going to see something happen. You're going to see these people disappear into the sky. And then for the next seven years, you're going to see pouring out on this planet God's wrath. The only way out is through the ark, if you will, the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the same message. And yet what do we have people today? Mocking, laughing. And in fact, the scripture says that's exactly what's going to happen you know, before the return of Christ. 
right? People are going to be eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage. Ah, no big deal, you wackos. Where is this coming that you promised throughout, you know, Peter says? You know, oh, nothing changes. It's all going on the same thing. Come on, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're just really raining my parade. Uh, you know, how, don't you have any news on the economy? Isn't the economy going to turn around, right? How's, how's things going? Hey, who's going to win the playoffs, right? It's the same thing today. And, and, and again, what Jesus is saying, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. The same type of judgment, the same type of rescue, and the same type of unfortunate attitude of people around those who were rescued is being uh, perpetrated again today. You know, I, I have a wow. few curveballs for you, Pastor. Um, cool. Because I want to clear up these before we get into the into the other um, subjects. It's three. The five virgins, what does it really mean when you don't have oil? The sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares. And what do those really mean scripturally? Yeah. Well, certainly, when you take a look at the context there, because you're dealing with basically Matthew 24. Matthew 24, what we're talking about is Matthew 25, but you've got to back up in the context. Matthew 24 is what? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they ask the question, when is the sign of your coming, right? And how are we going to know? Well, the coming he's talking about is not the rapture. He's talking about the second coming, right? And he's also, at the time, he's talking to a Jewish audience. Right? Matthew 24 does not have anything to do with the church, and that's where people get very confused. Uh, in fact, they will take the passage there in Matthew 24 towards the end, and they will sit there and you know, they say, well, see, it says like one person's taken and the other one's left, and, and that's the rapture, and that proves the, uh, that you know, one's in the field, one will be taken, uh, two, men, two women are grinding at the hand mill, one's going to be taken, those left, and, and, and that happens towards the end, and, and so therefore that, that's a post-trip position. No, that's not even the rapture. What that passage is talking about is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the final angel harvest, okay, where the Jewish elect and any Gentile people who did believe during the seven-year tribulation who survived being slaughtered to death, okay, uh, they will be ushered into the millennial kingdom. The people who are taken are not taken in a rapture. They're taken and thrown into hell. So it's not even a rapture passage. But we also know Matthew 24 is not dealing with the church because Jesus clearly says that he talks about the temple, right, and the, the abomination of the desolation the rebuilt Jewish temple. Well, the Jewish temple today has no reference for the church, no concern for the church. In fact, the Bible says now in the church age we become the temple of, of God. God's spirit lives within us. So a literal rebuilt Jewish temple has nothing for us, and that's where the Antichrist creates the abomination of desolation, right? And, and, but he also goes on to say, and he says, hey, you better hope that this doesn't take place, the abomination of desolation, which is the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. He says, hope it doesn't take place on the Sabbath. Oh, wait a second. Christians don't do Sabbath worship, but the Jewish people do today. So again, he's not talking to the church. He's talking to the Jewish audience. In fact, if you look at the context, it's in perfect correlation with this time of the seven-year tribulation. And he, he talks about it. He says, watch out. That, you know, when he starts Jesus in uh, Matthew 24, 4, he says, watch out that nobody deceives you. Many is going to come in my name claiming I'm the Christ. Well, that fits exactly perfectly with the beginning of the seven-year tribulation with the first seal and the rise of the Antichrist. And then he goes, then you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Well, what's that? He's going chronologically down the list. Uh, just like John does in Revelation, with uh, Revelation chapter 6 in the uh, seven-year tribulation. That's the second seal 
the the red horse rider, the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then he talks about, and there's going to be famines. Well, that's the next seal. And then he goes on, and he talks about uh, uh, the people being annihilated. Uh, and that's the next seal. And then he talks about people being uh, betrayed and, and martyred. Well, and that's the, the fifth seal. And then he talks about great earthquakes and all this stuff. And then he gets to the halfway point, again, the abomination and desolation. And, and continues on from there, and then, of course, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon giving its light, and then uh, he's talking towards the end of the seven-year tribulation. Then that's where it talks about two men will be in the field, one taken on the other left, and that's at the end uh, of that time frame uh, at the second coming of Jesus Christ uh, with the angel harvest preparing for the millennial kingdom. So it's actually in chronological order, but the point is this. It's not dealing with the church at all, and that passage in Matthew 24 is not a rapture passage. Okay. Now, I said all that to get to this, hopefully. <laughs> so therefore, turn the page, and now you're in what? Matthew 25. So Matthew 25 is still talking about what? He's still talking about uh, Israel. He's not talking about the church, right? And he's talking about, basically, he gives you three analogies. He gives you a parable of the, the, the ten virgins. He gives you a parable of the, the ten talents, and then the sheep and the goats. And basically, a lot of people want to spiritualize this text and say, well, really, what is is the virgins, what they do is they are symbolic of the church and then the people. And the, No, it's not. This, the context is still technically the Jewish people. And he's basically telling them you need to be ready. In fact, the, the, the premise there, and we go into this in the book with the parable of the ten virgin, uh, is it's also uh, – he's using uh, uh, language, uh, Jewish language of a, of a bridegroom would, would come. And uh, and how basically before the, the 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 groom would show up, then his best man would uh, you know announce on a horn, doo, 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 you know here he comes, and and what would happen? Well, they didn't have flashlights back in that day, and and the ladies never knew when he was going to show up, and so they always had to be ready, and so their methodology of light at that time was an oil lamp, and so basically since you didn't know when it was going to happen, uh, you always had to make sure you had some uh, you know a light source. And uh, and and so that when he came, you would be able to go with him because basically he would come and get the bride, and then they would march back down to the streets and they they'd head you know into um, the marriage ceremony. Okay, and that's all he's saying. He's basically saying you need to make sure that you're ready. And he uses an analogy, and so that's what he's basically saying. He's saying here's my sign of my coming, and he goes all the way through the seven year tribulation dealing with Israel. Okay, and then he says and make sure you're ready. Don't be goofing off. Make sure you're ready because you don't know. The day nor the hour. Then he goes into, and oh, by the way, here's don't be goofing off part two, and that's your parable of the talents, right? And, uh, and, and then he goes into the sheep and the goats, which is your other question, right? The sheep and the goats, uh, again, has nothing to do with the rapture. The sheep and the goats is exactly what he talked about at the end of Matthew 24. This is a time when God separates the nations. He says there all the nations are going to be gathered before him, and he's going to separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, right? And obviously the sheep are uh, the elect of God, the goats are not. And the sheep goes on his right, the goats go on his left. And then he tells you exactly what's going to happen to uh, those people. And he says uh, they will go away, the goats, to eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, go to eternal life. Right. And so what he's talking about there is at the very end of the seven-year tribulation, again, you have an angel harvest. You have a separation that's going on with the nations. Right. And because, again, what's the timing here? This is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Most of the planet has already been annihilated, right? There's uh, still a few handful of people, though, that are still alive, 
The whole planet didn't go uh, completely depopulated. There's still some people alive. But there's two groups of people at the end of the seven-year tribulation when Jesus comes back at the Battle of Armageddon right, to establish the kingdom. There's two groups of people left. Some are the remnant of the Jewish elect that the Bible talks about, Revelation 12, one-third will be sovereignly protected by the archangel Michael. And there are some Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who will be saved during the seven-year tribulation who have not died and been slaughtered. You know, maybe not a whole lot, but there's going to be some. Okay, And we know that people can get saved during the seven-year tribulation because you see the witness, the two witnesses, you see the 144,000 male Jewish evangelists, and you also see how the Bible says that there's an angel that's going to fly through the sky declaring the eternal gospel. So we know the gospel still goes forth, but this is not the church. The church is gone. And so you've got two groups of people. You've got, you got the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who respond to the gospel and somehow survived. Okay, a hand, if you give a ragtag bunch of people, and the one third the Jewish elect. But then you still got a bunch of other people, okay, who were survived, but they're not saved. They didn't respond to the gospel. So what are you going to do? Are they going into the millennial kingdom? No. And that's what Jesus is talking about. One's going to be taken, one's going to be left, right? Uh, and that's what he's talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. There's a separation goes on. Before he establishes the millennial kingdom, these people aren't going in there. Are you kidding me? They, 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 you know, granted, they, they, they survived the seven years, right, the, the hell on earth, right, but they still did not respond. Even after all that, they refused to repent, if you can believe that, but that's what Revelation 9 says. And uh, so what happens? So Jesus separates them, and those who did not respond, what happens? They're, they're thrown into hell, and that's what he's talking about. Those who did respond at that point, they get to enter into the millennial kingdom. Okay, so neither one of those passages has to do with the church. It's Jesus laying out chronologically the events of the seven-year tribulation, and these parables are not dealing with the church either. They are dealing with the fact that there, you these people need to take this serious during that time frame. You need to be ready, and uh, you also need to understand that at the end there's going to be a divine separation of the sheep and the goats. Uh, now, I will say this, and, and it, you have to tread lightly on this because people will take this wrongly. I do believe that in these parables here that there is a what's called uh, in biblical interpretation terminology, there's what's called a secondary application. The, typically in the scripture you have what's called a primary application. Who's the primary audience? What's primarily being taken? And then there's a secondary application. Right? For instance, you know, let's use something in the Old Testament, right? He'll say, I shouldn't read the Old Testament because that applies to the Jewish people. It has nothing to do with you and I today, the church. Well, first of all, it's God's word. We need to read all of it. And, and technically, yes, the events that were recorded in the Old Testament were the Old Covenant, hence Old Testament, and is applying to the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean there's nothing that we can learn, right? And it's the same thing in here. Technically, these passages are dealing with the Jewish people. Okay, But that doesn't mean that you and I also don't need to have an attitude of we need to make sure that we're also expectant of the Lord's return, Okay, and we're also busy serving him. And we also need to know that uh, in the end, uh, it's only his people who are going to experience his blessing. So there, there's a secondary application there, but the primary application uh, is not dealing with the church. It's dealing with the Jewish people. I'm not sure. Did you did you cover the wheat and the tears already? 
Oh, the wheat and the tares is the exact same thing. You're dealing with another parable that he's talking about uh, of, of, of the separation that's, that's going on, right? You got sheep and the goats. You got the wheat and the tares. It's the same thing. It's the same event at the seven-year tribulation at the end there, okay? And when you still got a band of people still alive at the second coming of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon, but you're getting ready to usher in the Millennial Kingdom, what are you going to do? Are you going to let the people who still have not repented go in? No. You got to separate them. You got the wheat, you got the tares. You got the sheep, you got the goats. Okay, that's all it is. It's talking about the same event. It's just different ways to explain it. And in fact, you know, that's that's nothing uncommon, right? How many times have you ever sat under a pastor and he's trying to make his point and he like says it seven different ways? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, you might be sitting there going like, "Hey, dude, you probably could have said that in five minutes, not fifty. You know, you just said it seven <laughs> yeah. different ways. You know, it's a teaching tool. It's a teaching technique. Repetition increases remembrance. Okay, and that's Jesus. He's just using different parables. Okay, to get the same point across. Okay, but uh, but let me also mention this, right? Um, the post-tripposition, right, uh, messes a lot of these parables from Jesus up, right? Now they will take passages in Matthew 24 and say it's dealing with the church, and the passage that they say uh, that's that the passage that's dealing with Matthew 24 with one will be taken, one will be left. Uh, people will take that as a rapture passage. No, it's not. Okay, it, it is at the end, but that's not a rapture passage. It's the separation of sheep and the goats. In, in fact, their position that they say that the church leaves at the end of the seven-year tribulation, it messes all kinds of things up, including it affects the millennial kingdom. Okay, Let, let me give you a couple of problems with that based on what we just shared that, uh, that's dealing with the Jewish people, not the church. Uh, first of all, what happens if you say that the church is raptured, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, and that's what these passages are talking about here, sheep and the goats, wheat and the tares, and that Matthew 24 passage, one be taken, one be left, that's, that's speaking of the, the rapture. Well, wait a second. You, you just created a, a, a problem, right? If, if we leave at the very end of the seven-year tribulation, uh, first of all, what kind of a promise is that, right? Hmm. Uh, remember, Paul said, encourage one another with these words, right? Comfort one another with these words. So here I am. First of all, it's not very comforting. In fact, it's not comforting at all, and it's not encouraging at all to know that I'm going to be in the seven-year tribulation and suffer under God's wrath, which the Bible says I'm not appointed unto wrath, but that's another issue, uh, and for seven years nonstop. And then here's what I'm supposed to encourage myself, but hey, take heart. At the very, very end, if somehow you survived, then you will get the world's quickest elevator ride. You go up at the rapture, and you come right back down. It's like, really? So so that, that's my comfort? That's encouraging? Right? Number two, it also messes up the timing for this separation we just talked about. Really? So if the church leaves at the seven-year tribulation, right? You don't, and then you come right back down at the end of the seven-year tribulation, right? Then you don't have time for this separation of the sheep and the goats. When's that supposed to take place? You messed it up. It's two different events. It's not the same event, but that messes. Up. Also, the really big thing it messes up, as if that wasn't bad enough, is wait a second. Who's going to populate the millennial kingdom? If you say that everybody gets raptured at the end of the seven-year tribulation, i.e. the elect, okay, and that somehow that involves the church, then who's left on the planet and the other bad people go to hell? Then who's left on the planet to populate the millennial kingdom? You see, when we get raptured, think about it. When we get raptured, the Bible's very clear about this. We get new bodies. We get new bodies, right? Yep. We get resurrected bodies. Well, that means we get bodies without sin. And the Bible also says that when we go to heaven, which happens at the rapture, okay, uh, there's not going to be marrying and giving in marriage, right? 
And so, wait a second, in the Millennium Kingdom, the earth gets repopulated. People are having babies. Well, wait right. a second, if everybody got a new body at the very end, who's left to have babies? Because everybody's got a new resurrected body. It, it, yeah. it can't happen. Where, where's the people with non-resurrected bodies, i.e. normal bodies? Well, the pre-trib position and what we just talked about explains it. There's people who are not the church, there's Gentile believers, and there's the Jewish elect with natural bodies who survived, albeit not a bunch of them, but still survived at the end of the seven-year tribulation. They go into the millennial kingdom. Guess what they have? They have natural bodies, which means they will experience marriage, and they will have babies, and they will be the ones repopulated. Now, it also explains another issue, right? At the end of the millennial kingdom, the Bible says that there's going to be one final rebellion. Well, wait a second. Not only the baby issue and who populates the millennial kingdom, but if you were to say that everybody gets uh, experiences a new resurrected body at the rapture at the end, hence post-trib, um, then who's left on the planet to rebel at the end? Because in order to rebel, you have to have sin nature. But if everybody got a new body at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the post-trib position, then nobody's got a sin nature. You're not only not going to have any babies to populate, you're not going to have a sin nature to rebel in the first place. So where does this rebellion come from? Who's left to rebel? If nobody's got a sin nature, right? And, but again, the way we just talked about it, well, that's simple because that's, these events are not talking about the church. These are the Gentile believers who got saved and the Jewish elect that were spared by the archangel Michael, and they still have natural bodies. And because they have a natural body, they will still have the ability to have babies. And because they still have natural bodies, that means they still have a sin nature, which will be passed on from generation to generation just like it is today, unfortunately – for the next thousand years, which means at the end of the thousand years, there's going to be a whole bunch of people again on the planet who have a sin nature, who hence had the propensity to rebel. The post-trip position messes everything up, not just the, the rapture itself and confusing that uh, Israel and the church and who are these people. They're quoting passages uh, that have nothing to do with the rapture. It has to do with the uh, uh, separation before the millennial kingdom, the sheep and the goats, the wheats and the tares. But it messes up the millennial kingdom itself. Wow. That was a great explanation. Wow. Roy? I, I I am just saying, wow. Quite um insightful. Very, very, very um um deep. And like you said, a lot of people are just led astray without knowing what the word of God says. Um the um what stood out to me was the um the ten virgins. The, the ten virgins, because even when I learned about the, the, the ten virgins that were used, it was it was um, the way, the custom of the Jews for the, um, no one knew when the bridegroom was coming. It was like uh, a, a special event or a secret event. I like the explanation that you, you gave. It was um, um, very on point, I would say. Yeah, and again, that's, that's just following the, the Jewish customs and mannerisms. Again, it was a it, it, the whole point of the parables. What it, and this is just a whole other issue. The parables in general, parable is parabole, para uh, throw uh, ball, ball, throw ball, throw alongside, and basically parables are stories that Jesus would throw alongside to encapsulate a spiritual truth, and not to oversimplify them. But I think the danger of many people in the church today is they overly confuse them, and it's really not that hard. 
The point of the parable of the ten virgins is you need to be ready. And all he did was use a Jewish customs manner that everybody, every Jewish person he's speaking to with this parable would get lickety-split. You and I don't get it because we don't get married this way. But they did. And all he's saying is like, you know, it's just like in a, a, a wedding, right? You got these ladies, and they're waiting around. They don't know when the wedding's going to start. They know it's coming, right. but they don't know it's start. Some of them were wise. Some of them were foolish. Well, why not? Well, because we all know it, it's going to happen at any time, and typically it would also happen typically late at night, hence why they would need lamps because it's not the daytime, and that's a Jewish custom. It would happen late at night, and usually when the guy got a couple blocks away, they would hear a they'd hear a horn blown by the best man, and they would know, oh, he's getting close. He's still not there, but he's getting close. So what would they do? Because he's coming to get them, and they're leaving, and they're going to go back and start the wedding. Okay, So they had to, as soon as they heard that horn, they had to hurry up and get ready. They had to not just get dressed. They had to what? Get their light source. They didn't have flashlights, right. so they had to get the oil going, the wick going. And, and, but what happened? The other ones, you know, uh, he was, it was taking a long time in coming. So what did they do? They goofed off. They became asleep. And then when they finally heard the do-do-do, only a couple blocks away, if you will, the, the cry came out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. The ones who were ready, they did what they did. The other ones said, hey, we give us some of your oil. And they said, no, I'm not giving you your oil. You know what? You should have been ready, right? And then instead, what they said, well, oh, okay, he, he's two blocks away, but maybe I could hurry up and run, run down the street and buy some real quick. And, of course, they were too late. But the, what's the point of the passage? It's just be ready. And he uses be prepared. Be, be, prepared. Be, prepared. be ready. That's all it is. I'm not trying to oversimplify mm-hmm. it, but that's all it is. And he used an analogy that everybody would get. Just like that, you know that you gotta be ready. Right? Don't be don't be goofing off. Right? That's all it is. You know, and, and, and but people sit they'll spiritualize it. Well, really what it stood for was the bridegroom is humanity and humanity's uh, suffering <laughs> through a low self esteem and it needs to rise to the occasion uh, to build our self esteem It's like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And one of my favorite ones is this. You know, they talk about and it says, and the disciples pulled in the net, right? And there was 153 fish, right? And all it is, it was like, okay, he's drawing attention that this was Jesus, and it was an amazing catch of fish. It was a miracle, right? That's all it was. I'm not trying to oversimplify, but that's all it was. But then people today, they'll sit there and go, oh, no, see, really, the boat represents humanity and the journey that we are on as planet Earth. The net represents the troubles of humanity that are coming, that will be pulled into the planet. And the 153, you see, if you take one and five, you add that together, that's six. And then there's a three, so you times that by three, that's six, six, six. It represents the mark of the beast that is coming. It's a what? No! It's just a boat that caught the fish. It draws attention to Jesus. It was an amazing miracle. There was so many. It's a guy thing, right? Dude, I got 153 yeah. fish. That's yeah. all it was. But this is so, what people do with these parables, and they, they, it's like, no. And then they want to say, it's the church. It's, it's not the church. The context starting back in Matthew 24, continuing in 25, is Israel. Yeah. And, and I don't want to belabor the point too much, but the, the, the oil is not the Holy Spirit. All the oil is, is the source of fuel needed to light the lamp to get out there when the cry came out to go to the wedding. That's it. That's all it is. All right. All right. So we have, we still got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I just want to point out here. So we have a lot, we have Hollywood uh, pushing out these movies and uh, three of them I can call right now, um, make fun of the rapture. And one of yep. them is called The Remaining. 
the other is Rapture Palooza, and another one is called This is the End. And uh, they all have their issues, right? But what I notice is they're not making fun of the other positions. They re- they're making fun of the pre-tribulation position. Why not make fun of the other positions too? It's just like how um, people attack Jesus and Jesus alone. They don't attack Buddha or Allah or whoever else. They only t- attack Jesus. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think it's just, uh, uh, I, I, again, I don't believe base my belief on the teachings of the preacher rapture on how people try to ex- explain it away or mock it. But I do think that there's, uh, it's a legitimate issue to, uh, of all positions that people are, quote, attacking is the pre-trib one. And to me, it lends credence that, hey, maybe the reason why is because uh, satanically, people are trying to keep people from the blessing of the blessed hope, right? Because, again, it ain't a blessing if I'm in the seven-year tribulation all the way post-trib, three-quarters of the way, pre-wrath, mid-trib, halfway there. It's, it, that's not a blessing. In, in fact, uh, if again, if anything, it just shows that maybe, quote-unquote, we really are on the right track. Why else would you only attack that position, right? Now, you, you bring up an interesting point, and we've talked about this before in some other studies. And, of course, I got saved out of New Age and the occult. And uh, not only is Hollywood desperately trying to explain away the pre-trib position of the rapture and mock it and et cetera, blah, blah, and downplay it, but so is the occult. In fact, uh, so are the supposed uh, aliens and UFOs that people are supposed to be contacting. And of all positions that they're trying to undermine, it ain't post-trib. It's (laughs) pre-trib. In fact, let let me read to you some quotes. These are from people who are saying they're in contact with aliens. Of course, it's all demonic. We, we have another documentary called UFOs, The Great Last Day's Deception, 10-hour documentary on what in the world's going on with UFOs and uh, aliens. And, you know, you know, what, what, you know, but it's, anyway, it's a basically it's a demonic deception, but 10 hours dealing with that. But anyway, and we, we share in that study also that uh, these supposed aliens, supposedly they're coming all the way across the planet. Oh, listen to this. They're supposedly coming all the way across the planet to what? To uh, say that uh, Jesus... Uh, and Muhammad and Buddha are all the same thing. They're all just good teachers. Uh, there's no such thing as sin. You don't need to repent and be saved. Uh, we all need yeah. to uh, 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 align with the one world government, one world uh, religion, uh, combine all of our economies together, and submit to a one world uh, ruler. Oh, by the way, don't forget they say that Lucifer is actually a good guy who's come to free us. Uh, and they're explaining away the pre-trip rapture, saying, no, 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 no. It's, not the, it's not the biblical rapture. It's the it's the aliens who've beamed them up to the spaceships. And Hollywood's working right along with that to try to explain that away. But let me read to you some uh, quotes that people are supposedly <coughs> receiving from these critters. No, by the way, how do they get these this information? And this, to me, is another sign you're dealing with a demonic entity. Well, they have to get themselves into an altered state of consciousness in order to make contact with these beings. And I'm thinking, well, wait a second. If you're supposed to be this higher evolved being – Right, it's supposed to be more technologically savvy than the rest of us. Then can't you beam down a walkie-talkie? Can I? Can't you tap into my cell phone? How about send me an email? Why do I have to get into an occult practice of altered state of consciousness in order for you to speak through me? Oh, by the way, you don't want to speak through me like a demon. You want to possess my body like a demon. But anyway, whatever. So anyway, here's some of those messages. Listen, listen to what they're trying to explain away. This one is from Barbara Marciniak, and uh, she's a New Age author, Chandler. And I remember reading her books back in the day when I was under that delusion too before I got saved. But anyway, she claims that extraterrestrials from the star system of Pleiades have told her this, quote, there will be great shiftings within humanity on this planet. 
It will seem that chaos and turmoil are forming, that nations are rising against each other in war, and that earthquakes are happening more frequently. <gasps> oh my goodness, they, they've, got, they've got the truth. I mean, we know that's – no, hello, that's called the Bible. Anybody could read that. It's a seven-year tribulation. They don't have some secret knowledge. It's been in the Bible for 2,000 years. God said this is what's coming to the planet. Oh, but what they do, they spin it and they say, oh, no, it, it's, not, it's not God's wrath. It's Mother Earth cleansing herself. But they continue. They say, Earth is oh. shaking itself free, and a certain realignment or adjustment period is to be expected. Listen, the people who leave the planet during the time of Earth changes do not fit here any longer, and they are stopping the harmony of the Earth. When the time comes that perhaps 20 million people leave the planet at one time, there will be a great tremendous shift in consciousness for those who are remaining. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, who's stopping the harmony of the earth? Who's the restrainer? The scripture says it's Jesus the church. Christ. Right? And it, it's Christ in us. Right? And, uh, and, and, but they blame it on us. Right? Get rid of those nasty Christians. All that, man, everything would be great if you went for you Christians, you Christian fundamentalist extremists. Right? And, and this is what these demonic entities are telling people. When you see these people who are stopping the harmony there, you know Christians, when you see them disappear, hey, the rest of us, it's all right. We're going to go through some earth changes. But you know what? It's, you know, you just hang on. Hang on. On the back end of this, we're going to have utopia. And so they actually make it sound like – they don't explain away the rapture of the church saying it's the aliens that came and got them, right? Not, not Jesus. But they also say that those who are left behind, it's a badge of honor. You're a chosen one. Listen, listen to what this lady said. I'll give you a couple more. Her, her, uh, uh, her name is – her spiritual name is uh, Tuella, and she wrote this book, New Age book. It's called Project World Evacuation. And here's just a snippet of what she shared. She says, our rescue ship – oh, and these are supposed to be aliens communicating to her through a demonic means as well. It says, our rescue ships will be able to come in close enough in the twinkling of an eye to set the lifting beams in operation in a moment. And all over the globe where events warranted, this will be the method of evacuation. Mankind will be lifted, levitated, shall we say, by the beams of our smaller ships. These smaller craft will in turn taxi the persons to larger ships overhead, higher in the atmosphere, where there is ample space and quarters and supplies for millions of people. The great evacuation will come upon the world very suddenly. The flash of emergency events will be as lightning that flashes in the sky. So again, it's not the rapture, it's the aliens. So don't worry about your loved one. Because, I mean, let me give you another one. They, they say this. The cataclysms are all part of purifying the earth back to a millennium. Well, we're headed towards the millennial kingdom, but that's from Jesus Christ. And it's not Mother Earth cleansing herself. It's Father God pouring out his wrath. But again, that's – they twist it. It's satanic. It's a lot. It's a demonic. They say what is going to happen when you reach a certain point is that you will have the first wave of ascension. Those whose bodies cannot take this change will go on the first wave of ascension. They'll be taken up, and their bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In the twinkling of an eye, they will be removed from the physical completely into the new spiritual body. There will be many visits from galaxies by interdimensional beings, yeah, demons, as from the Pleiades, to assist in some cases to rescue people and take them into higher places. Those are the flying machines that you are seeing coming into your galaxies that have been preparing themselves for up to the last 40 years. Some never die on this earth. These missing persons have already been taken as their time was not up, and they were not meant to go through a demise. They went off through a liftoff in UFOs. So basically, in a nutshell, just like Hollywood, but the New Age and demons and supposed aliens, are they trying to explain away the post-trip position? How about pre-wrath? We're going to be here for halfway? No, no, no. 
What, hmm. Of all positions, they just happen to be desperately lying about and explaining in a way is the preacher position. And, right. and, and, it's just, and, and again, you, you, it makes sense, if you will, when you put yourself in the enemy's shoes, Satan's shoes, right? The Antichrist. Here you have an event, the rapture. And it's going to happen. It could happen again before we finish this broadcast. Okay? And you can't spin this one away. There's no spin zone on this one. You can't, right? It, it really happened, right? And then it's a global event. And it's specifically and only specifically just true born-again Christians. So you better have some sort of excuse to pacify the fears of people, right? And so you put yourself... In the enemy's shoes, what's he going to do? How's he going to explain this one away? Because this is really going to draw people to Christ. This is going to, this is going to, say, man, they're going to be repenting left and right, and I'm doomed, and I'm never going to get my antichrist kingdom off the ground. They're never going to let me rise and make this peace treaty with Israel and start the seven-year tribulation and and enter in with this false utopia. What am I going to say? Oh, here's what you say with the help of Hollywood and the lie of Charles Darwin for the last 150 years, folks. Oh, oh, oh and get hey, hey, tell you what. In fact, what we'll do. It was we'll use a global broadcast, and we'll get some sort of a, a world religious figure, a false prophet kind of person, you know, like someone like the Pope, right? And we'll get – because everybody trusts him, right? And so we'll get him up there, and he'll be there with me, right, the Antichrist, and then we'll say, hey, folks, we're, thank you for tuning in. As you guys know that uh, in the last few hours, uh, we've had a, a global event, and uh, but um, we just want to let you know uh, what is going on and to, to calm your fears. Uh, yes, millions of people around the planet have disappeared, your loved ones, and uh, but uh, we want to let you know that uh, everything's going to be okay. Um, the government, as you've known for probably the last several decades, uh, has withheld information from you that UFOs and aliens are real. And uh, but now we can uh, can no longer hide this fact. We need to let you know that we've known about this for quite some time. Uh, they are real. In fact, they're the ones uh, who are responsible for taking your loved ones. They beam them up to the spaceships. Now, don't worry. Don't worry. They're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. In fact, what we want to let you know is our space brothers are here, and they're here to help us because Earth is about to go through some Earth changes because of climate change, and we've been really hurting Mother Earth. And, and, but it's going to be okay. They're going to take us by the hand. They're going to lead us into an age of utopia. We're all going to work together in this. And, and, and don't worry, uh, your loved ones, they were not of the right spiritual vibrations to be able to handle the Earth changes that are coming. But you, you who are left behind, you're a chosen one. And you're going to be a part of this new utopia. And, and don't worry, at the end, after the earth changes, they will beam your loved ones back after they've had an appropriate time to adjust to this new period of peace and safety on the planet. Now, stop and think about that. That's not just plausible. That is satanically brilliant. In fact, hmm. if you look at how long that has been laid in place, it's been laid in place for 150 years because – in order to fall for the lie of aliens and UFOs, you have to fall for the lie of evolution. Because what's their supposed identity? A higher evolved race from across the galaxy. Well, evolution is mm-hmm. not true, so right there you're, you're lying to me. right? But so this is how far Satan has been working on this lie, and he needed evolution to get across the planet first in order to fall for the second lie. And the second lie is these aliens, supposed higher evolved aliens, are now here to help us, and they're the ones – who removed all these people who suddenly disappeared. It's crazy. Yeah. But, but yeah. listen, 
Human nature in a time of crises, listen to this, human nature in a time of crises is, especially serious ones, we, we have a tendency to gravitate towards any old lame excuse, right? I mean, your loved one's missing, and somebody comes up, hey, don't worry, they're just at aisle three at Walmart, right? They're, 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 they're lost there, but they're going to be fine. Okay, okay, whew, I feel better now. <laughs> you know, we will gravitate towards any lame excuse. But listen, this is not a lame excuse. This has been prepared generation after generation for the last 150 years. Hollywood's kicking into high gear, like you mentioned, Chris, and is pulling out all the stops. And the occult and New Age, who thinks that yep. Lucifer is a good guy who's come to save us, are desperately working at, listen, explain away what? Post-trip? Pre-rep? Mid-trip? No. Of all position is the pre-trip position. Again, I don't believe in the pre-trip position because of these people's behavior and the occult's behavior and New Age behavior. I believe in it because I believe that's what the Bible says. But I do find right. it very interesting. Of all positions to pick on and to try to explain away desperately so, it's this one. Yeah, and, and we see we see more evidence of what you're talking about in the miniseries Childhoods. And oh, everything you just laid out is in that oh, miniseries. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, isn't that and, wild? Yeah, and also in the movie Skyline that came out um, in the early 2000s where these huge – uh, UFO spaceships, uh, not your typical type, but they were huge, and they were just sucking people um, off the planet. And they kind of related it to the rapture, I think was mentioned in the movie. Well, and, and you no, know, but like, not only that, but what the pastor was saying is that, yeah, you said for 150 years, people are being prepared. Yes, and it's 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 like it's so amped up right now that they're spitting out movies probably about three or four a year. Different actors, basically the same the, the, the same um, end result. The aliens are coming down. You see that in um, Marvel, they're coming from a different dimension. You know, we got to find them back or, or, you know, they're coming to take us. Whatever it is, uh, now we're seeing, you know, people are more open to portals being open and, and things coming through them or, or things leaving. Yeah, and again, it just so happens with, uh, you know, give me share this on the documentary, UFOs, The Great Last Days of Deception. But, uh, you know, these entities uh, on the, you know, supposedly UFOs and aliens, how, how do they travel? Well, they travel more spiritual in nature than physical. You know, they go 15,000 miles an hour, but they make a right turn. Well, anything physical be road pizza. Right, you 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 travel, you, you pop in, you pop out, you dematerialize, you dematerialize, you, and you just uh, uh, and then you look at the scripture, and that's how angels travel. They pop in, they pop out, they dematerialize. They're there one minute, and they're they're gone, and of course demons are fallen angels, right? And so it's like everything begins to stack up that you're dealing with the last days demonic deception. And Chris, you mentioned that uh, child uh, childhood end that that show there, isn't that the one where they not only the UFO lands on the planet? Uh, but the guy that comes out of a spaceship is the devil. Yeah, big red, I mean, giant, yeah. nine foot demon. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on, are yeah. you guys serious? And again, that's mm-hmm. exactly what New Age teaches. The devil they want us to believe, Lucifer, they, which means like light bearer. They think he's a good guy. He's he's there to give us light, a, a good light bearer. I came out of this. I got saved from this New Age, and we just finished uh, twelve weeks on New Age. We got to study uh, on that twelve hours New Age, and uh, wow. but. Um, he, uh, they, they want to think he's a good guy, and Hollywood is basically promoting that same satanic New Age lie that the devil's a good guy. He's here to help us. 
right? Mm-hmm. And again, they couple this with the rapture. They're trying to desperately, with the help of Hollywood, get it into your mind when you see people left behind. When you see people disappearing across the whole planet, don't even compute it with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These other dimensional beings who are here to help us. We just need to listen to them. It's, it's, it's crazy. The mass deception is going on in Hollywood is uh, right along with it. It's crazy, man. So, Rory, you have any more questions? Um, we got we still have half an hour left, so let's try to get into some of this meat. What passages of scripture were key to you um, during this research um, in in Revelation and in the the pre-trib or the the rapture? Well, the rapture, you know, of course, we have a whole chapter on this, the basis of the rapture, because some people say, oh, I don't believe in the rapture because the word rapture doesn't even appear in the Bible. It's like what? Yeah. It's like, are you really? Well, first of all, yes, it does appear in the Bible, right? Uh, rapture is the English word, which is based on the Latin word raptura, which comes from the Koine Greek word, which is what the New Testament was written in, uh, harpazo, which means the catching or snatching away, right? And so, well, it doesn't, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, first of all, uh, it, it, the uh, the reason why. Uh, it was translated because it started out in Greek, but then it, it turned into what's called the Latin Vulgate because nobody was speaking uh, Koine Greek anymore. Uh, the language switched to Latin. And then it switched from Latin, and to the, the language began to, in like the, the 14th century, began to uh, turn into English. So then it's translated to English, and that's what we're still speaking today. So there's no conspiracy, whatever. It's just the word's been the same the whole time. It's based on the biblical word harpazo. It's just the translation has gone from Koine Greek to Latin to English. But it's the same word. What, what do you mean? It, it doesn't, it's not in the Bible. Oh, and by the way, you can still get a copy of the Latin Vulgate, and guess what you'll find in there? Raptura. So technically, yeah, it's in the Bible. But anyway, whatever. So my point is, well, wait a second. Your whole rejection of the rapture is based on you can't find the word rapture in the Bible, which again is a misnomer. Well, let's, let's apply that logic a little further, shall we? Uh, did you know that the word Bible is not in the Bible? So do I not believe in the Bible? Did you know that the word millennium is not in the Bible? So do I not believe in the millennium because the word millennium is not in there? Right? Did you know the word trinity is not in the Bible? So I can't believe in the trinity because it's not. No, the biblical concept is of all those is taught in the Bible. Right? And, uh, you know, and you've got Biblos, which is the book, the Bible. is where we get the word Bible from. And so it's, it's crazy. So, but, again, people will say, well, you know, the, the Bible doesn't teach a rapture. You know, not just they supposedly not have the word, which is not true. Uh, but, folks, this is uh, all over the rapture. You know, of course, the classic passage is 1 Thessalonians 4, right, is where uh, Paul's encouraging, you know, encourage one of these words, right, and that we who are still alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, i.e. the rapture, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or have died, okay? And that with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up. There's your word, harpazo, rapture, will be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds, and meet the Lord in the air. And we'll be with the Lord forever. And again, therefore, encourage one another with these words, right? First Corinthians 15, we're not all going to sleep. We're all going to be changed in the flash and the twinkle of an eye. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised and perish. We're going to be changed. John 14, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, which he's doing right now, what's he going to do? Quote, I will come back and what? Take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So the Bible clearly talks about a rapture in more than one passages, multiple passages. But the issue is really the rub that people have is the timing. And if we could, uh, hopefully quickly, uh, what time we have left, I wanted to give you uh, some of the evidences, I believe biblically, why in fact you're dealing with an event that is pre-trib, pre-seven-year tribulation, and that it has nothing to do with the church. The church will be raptured, caught up, harpazoed away before that uh, time period begins. And, and, and again, we go in great detail in the book. But let me, let me give you a couple of those reasons, because people say, there's no biblical proof. You can't point to one verse to show a pre-trip. That's not true. That's not true. Let me give you a couple of them. Uh, first of all, uh, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, 22, uh, 27, Daniel's talking about uh, the 70th week prophecy. And he talks about basically how there's going to be a, a, a total of 77s until God basically wraps up history. Oh, oh, by the way, for who? For the Jewish people. And then he's going to fulfill the rest of his promises that he's made to them. Okay? He says 69 of those have passed. Okay? And after the decree that goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, um, then the uh, anointed one of the Messiah is going to be cut off. Well, that's the exact date that we have with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, history records for us that the date uh, was 445 B.C. when King Artaxerxes issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So you do the math, basically, long story short, it's uh, 69, sevens, uh, 69 times 7, that's 483. You times it by the Jewish lunar calendar, which is 360 years, right? They had a lunar calendar, 30 days for each month, 360, right? 30 times 12 is 360. Anyway, it basically gives you 1,700. Uh, 173,880 days. So what happened 173,880 days after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, the first 69 87s? It's the exact date that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he was, just like Daniel predicted, was rejected or cut off from his people. But the problem is, well, that leaves you one week. It was a not a 69th-week prophecy. It was a 70th-week prophecy. That's that, and, and by the way, that's why we have a seven-year tribulation. Not a two-year tribulation. Not a 193. Not a 15. Why is it a specific seven-year tribulation? Because it's, you have to go back where this all began. Not in Revelation. Do your homework. It all began in the book of Daniel. It's this final week, the final seven of the 70th week prophecy. Now, here's all my point to get that. When uh, Daniel is writing this prophecy about the seven-year tribulation, the final week, it's all about Israel. It has nothing to do with the church. Let me demonstrate that real quick. He says there, and I'm going to read just basically from verse 20 to 27. He says, my sin and the sin of my people. Well, who's that? He's talking about Daniel, a Jewish guy, and the people of Israel. He says, making my request to the Lord, my God, on his holy hill. Well, that's Daniel and Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel, I've now come to give you, of course, the angel speaking to him. He's talking to Daniel, a Jewish guy. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. Who's he talking about? the Jewish people in Jerusalem, from issuing the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Oh, what's he talking about? Again, the city of Jerusalem. The people of the ruler who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. Again, Jerusalem. And on a wing of the temple, he, the Antichrist, will set up an abomination that causes desolation. What's he talking about? He's talking about the rebuilt uh, temple in Jerusalem. So here's the point. You look at the verbiage of the 70th week prophecy, the seven-year tribulation, where it first begins, and who is he talking to? He's not talking to the church. The church is nowhere in this discussion. I just read the text. 
It's all about contextually the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the rebuilt Jewish temple, has nothing to do with the church. Why do you keep trying to squeeze the church into this final week of Daniel, a Jewish guy, uh, uh, final week, the seven-year tribulation? Why are you trying to squeeze the church in there when it had nothing to do with the church? Oh, and by the way, it cannot be the church. You can't spiritualize this way. Because when you take a look at the timing, when Daniel wrote the, the, the book of Daniel containing the 70th week prophecy, the seven-year tribulation, it, it was written anywhere from about 536 to 530 B.C. All right, so do the math. Where was the church when this book of this prophecy, which includes the origination of the seven-year tribulation, where was the church when this prophecy was written? Nowhere is the answer. Because do the math. The church didn't even come into existence until Acts chapter 2, which is 570 years later. So how in the world could Daniel be referring to the church in this passage, the seven-year tribulation, Okay, when the church wasn't even in existence yet? Not only does the context have nothing to do with the church, it's all about the Jewish people. But it, the church wasn't even around. And this is why Paul uses statements in the scripture that the church okay, was a mystery. In fact, it says specifically it was not only a mystery – the church, it was not made to men, known to men in other generation, okay, uh, which would include Daniel. So again, how in the world could Daniel be referring to the church in the seven-year tribulation when the church wasn't even in existence, and the Bible even says these Old Testament prophets had no knowledge of the mystery of the church? You can't. It's, it's crazy. And then you look at the audience and other passages that deal with this final week uh, clearly talk about uh, the audience is not the church. The church is not even in existence yet. It's all about the, the Jewish people. Jeremiah, he talks about this, and he talks about this time frame, and he says it's going to be a time of trouble for Jacob. Well, who's Jacob? Jacob, that's a Jewish person of the Jewish people, right? He, he didn't say it's a time of trouble for the church. No. The seven-year tribulation, Daniel's final week of the 70-week prophecy, has nothing to do with church. It's Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. It's not Paul's doom. It's not Peter's demise. It's not Ananias' agony. It's Jacob's trouble. It's a Jewish name for a Jewish people for a Jewish time, not the church. It is all about Israel. It's a time when God refines Israel. He redeems Israel during the seven-year tribulation. He fulfills the rest of his promises that he made to Israel, that Jesus would come back from the lineage of David. He would rule and reign from Jerusalem on planet Earth. All those promises have not come to pass yet, yet God's promising to the Jewish people. He's going to do that after this final week, the 70-week prophecy. The Bible says right now they're under a temporary blindness. Okay, Their eyes are going to be open in the seven-year tribulation. Okay, and uh, but it has nothing to do with the church. So that, to me, I always like to point out, because people keep trying to squeeze the church in this final week that has nothing to do with the church. They didn't know about the church when they wrote this. It's not even contextually about the church, and the church wasn't even in existence. So you're breaking a basic biblical rule of interpretation: context, context, context. Now the other big one is, frankly, it evolves around this: that the Bible is clear about the church. The church will not experience. The wrath of God, right? You know, because people, they'll sit there and say, well, this ain't right. You know, you, you should suffer just like everybody else. Well, wait a second. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you there, that we are promised general persecution and suffering and pain. We're going to have trials and tribulation, general tribulation in this world. We're promised that. But the seven-year tribulation is not a normal time of general trials and, 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 and troubles, this is specifically a time when God pours out his wrath. 
And wrath is not the same as general trouble. In fact, it's not even the same Greek word. Uh, general tribulation is the Greek word solipsis, okay, but God's wrath is a different word. It's orge, and it means anger, violent emotion, wrath, indignation. And the Bible clearly says that we are saved from that. The church is. Romans 5, what's it say? God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. What? Christ died for us. What? Christ died since, for us. Since, right. Since yeah. we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from what? God's wrath through him. In fact, Paul even mentions in 1 Thessalonians, not once but twice, and this is the same chapter that deals with the rapture contextually, chapter 4, but in chapter 1, before the rapture, and chapter 5, right after the rapture, he says it twice, that we are saved from this time of wrath. Quote, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, what? He says it again. Encourage one another and build each other up as, in fact, that you are doing. So the Bible is clear. We are not headed for the seven-year tribulation because the seven-year tribulation is a time when God pours out his wrath. And that, by the way, is extremely easy to demonstrate because people say, well, okay, yeah, I, I, I got you. You know, the church, the scripture is clear repeatedly that the church is not appointed unto God's wrath. But see, that's where you get it wrong. The seven-year tribulation is not fully God's wrath. And here's where they start dancing around. They say only the second half is God's wrath. The first half is man's wrath or Satan's wrath. Oh, then other position, no, no, no. The three-fourths of it is man's wrath or Satan's wrath or whatever. Um, but only the last quarter of it is God's wrath. No, it's not. It is God's wrath through and through, which means the church cannot be in there through and through. Right? You take a look at Revelation 6, and that's where it all starts, right? And that's a parallel passage to Daniel 9, uh, 27. What starts the seven-year tribulation? What starts that final week of Daniel's 70th week prophecy? What triggers it, right? Because 69 and past, we're kind of been in this, this you know, interim period, which is called the church age, by the way. And what, what's going to trigger that event? Daniel 9, 27, the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel. Bang, bang, seven years. There it is. That's your trigger event. It's paralleled in Revelation chapter 6. If the first seal, what's the first seal? The first seal is the rise of the Antichrist with the white horse rider, right? And so from the very get-go, you see repeatedly that this is all coming from God. At the very, oh, by the way, uh, back up in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 before you get to Revelation 6, which is the beginning point of the seven-year tribulation. Where is all this coming from that's about to be unleashed on the planet starting with the seals? This is coming from the throne room of God. In fact, if you look at the seals, and the seals are the first half of the seven-year tribulation. Right? People say, oh, that's the wrath of man, the wrath of Satan. Excuse me? This is coming from the throne of God. Man is not in control here, and don't you dare say that Satan's in charge here. God is in charge through and through, and this is coming from him. He's pouring out his wrath. Okay. In fact, it says there every single time one of these seals is open, it says, I watch as what? Man? Satan? No. The Lamb opens the seals. And then one of the four living creatures gives the orders. Who's the four, who's one of the four living creatures? These are the angelic cherubims. What's an angel? Angel is the Greek word angelos. It means messenger. Angels exist, holy angels, not demons. Angels exist, living creatures exist, cherubim exist, 
okay, to do God's will. They are God's messenger. So the Lamb God opens every single one of these seals. He's given the order. The angel dishes out the order who exists to do God's will. This is all coming from God from the beginning all the way to the end. And for you to sit there and say, with all due respect, that this, the first half of this has nothing to do with the wrath of the Lamb. Oh, oh, by the way, how do you get around that one? Not only is contextually this all coming from God, starting back in chapter 4, chapter 5 in his throne room, as Jesus opens the title deed of the earth. Okay, And then not only every single seal says, and the Lamb opens, and the Lamb opens, and the Lamb opens, and the Lamb opens. This is coming from God. Okay, but how do you get around it, even in the first half? When it clearly says in Revelation 6, they quote, Call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from what? The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? So even in the first half, the people on the planet admit, on top of what I just said, contextually, that this is the wrath of God. And and by the way, in fact, in the Word it says wrath has come. Okay, Uh, It's actually... Uh, a uh, errorist tense in the Greek, and it means it's, it's a past event. It doesn't mean it came right then and there. It means it's they are they are at this point acknowledging that this is what's been going on. Okay, but they clearly admit, and this is the first half. So how could you sit there and say that only the second half or three quarters or only the final quarter is the wrath of God in the seven-year tribulation? No, from the very get-go, all of it, all seven years is the the, the wrath of God. Now here's the point: What's the Bible say? This is not some convenient escapism. I'm not trying to hide from suffering. We're promised to suffer. But this is not suffering in the seven-year tribulation. This is not general tribulation. This is tribulation with a capital T. This is a specific time when God pours out his wrath on this planet nonstop over and over again for seven years. The church is not appointed unto that time frame. Oh, and then people say this. Well, you mean to tell – well, wait a second. You're kind of being you know, uh, uh, duplicit in your thinking. You say that the church is not appointed unto God's wrath. He wouldn't put the church under his wrath. Well, first of all, I'm not saying that. I just quoted three verses. Okay, but whatever. Mm. And, and, and so um, they say, but what about those people that get saved during the seven-year tribulation? Aren't they under God's wrath? Yes, they are. But that's not the church. And that's right. why there's an urgency to get, uh, get uh, saved right now. This is the church age. And when that last Gentile, the fullness of the Gentiles, comes in, bang, it's over. The, God, it goes back to, if you will, kind of like the, the Old Testament. Uh, and not just the Jewish people. God's eyesight is going to be on the Jewish people. There will be Gentile, non-Jewish people who can get saved. We already talked about that earlier. But that's not the church. It go, it, did you know in the Old Testament that there were Gentile people who became Jewish and submitted yeah. to circumcision? Right. So it yeah. basically reverts back to that. But that's not the church. No more than the Old Testament is the church as well. Okay? And so so that there's no inconsistency there. There's no – you know, anyway, so I had to bring that up because people want to try to count it out with that. But the uh, other one, yeah. too, they – or go ahead. Sorry. The, sorry. The, um, the, that, the, there's a verse that always trips people up in, in what you're explaining there, and that's the, uh, the Antichrist will be given power to make war with the saints. Well, and again, that's that's the basic interpretation. We go into this great detail in our study. The basic uh, rules of interpretation is this: one of the most important things in uh, understanding the Bible correctly, proper interpretation, is what's called context, context, context. You know, they have a phrase in real estate: what's the most important thing in real estate? You know, 
and location, location, location. Well, it's the same thing in Bible uh, interpretation. Context, context, context. Now, they they want to say, they say, oh, yeah, well, I see the church in the seven-year tribulation. Look at the words that says saint, right? Because it talks about these saints and how in even in the first half, they'll, they'll bring up the, the, the seals there and how these saints are being martyred. And then you mentioned the passage there or how that uh, Satan was allowed to make war with the saints. Well, that's the church. No, it's not. No, it's not for a multitude of reasons we just talked about. But let's just deal with that. Let's forget all that and let's take a look at the context, right? Uh, first of all, scripturally, the scripture interprets scripture. And you need to observe the context. Just because you see a word somewhere, okay, uh, doesn't mean it only has one contextual meaning. Let, let me give you an example. Um, the word cool, right? Um, the word cool is spelled C-O-O-L, right? But did you know the word cool can have a totally different meaning based on its context, right? For instance, I can say, hey, Chris, I can't really see you, but I'm making this up. Uh, that shirt you got on right now is really cool, right? Or I can say, hey, Rory, I know I teased you about the pizza, but your attitude's gotten kind of cool towards me. What's up? Thought you had a sense of humor, right? Or I can say, hey, uh, man, look at that. That was pretty, you know, that was a, uh, uh, yeah, outside. It's just, whew, it's getting kind of cool. Now, it's the exact same word, spelled the exact same way, right? But every single time, it had a completely different meaning. Why? Based on the context in which it's used in. Now, I said all that to get to this. The word saint does not always apply to the church. We, in fact, the scripture, when you look at the word saint, it appears all over the Bible. There are contextually Old Testament saints. There are New Testament saints, you and I, the church age today. There's the people who get saved after the rapture, during the seven-year tribulation, who's not the church, called tribulation saints. And there's also saints mentioned during the millennial kingdom. Okay? So just because you see the word saint does not mean it's implying to the church. And contextually, we know it can't be the church. Because again, this is a time frame when God's wrath is going to be poured out on the planet seven years nonstop, and he's promised us not once, not twice, three different times, we are rescued from that time of wrath. So it's not the church. Plus we also know that the seven-year tribulation we already talked about has nothing to do with the church. It's the Jewish people, right? And, and God poured out his wrath on the Gentile believers who have rejected him. The Daniel chapter 9. So it can't be the church contextually. Right? So it's another misnomer that people make. But also, again, they want to say, well, you can't point to one single verse. Well, what do we just talk about? How many, how many verses do you need? But, but let me give you one that is, to me, it's like abundantly clear. And, and, and that is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. It says this, since you have kept my command, who's speaking here? Jesus. And he's speaking to the church, right? The church of Philadelphia. And he says, you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Okay, that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So Jesus promises these faithful Christians in Philadelphia, the church, okay, that although they had it rough here on earth for a little while, defending him, standing up for him, not giving up, okay, and that's just kind of like today, he will nonetheless, here's a promise, I'm going to keep you, okay, okay, I'm going to spare you from specifically the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test who? The church? No, he's talking to the church. To those who live on the earth. Two different groups of people are being mentioned here. There's one, contextually, the church, who is promised to be kept from this trial. That, by the way, is a global event that's coming upon the whole world. And two, those who get tested while they are still on the earth. Two different groups of people. It cannot be the same. If that's not the rapture, 
a promise of the rapture and being spared from the seven-year tribulation. I don't know what it is. Okay. In fact, the phrase there, hour of trial, okay, it means a time of testing or a season of testing. It's not specifically literally one hour. It literally means a period or a season when the church is not on the earth and a season of testing when the whole planet is going to be tested. Okay, that tells us this cannot be some localized uh, single event in Philadelphia like, uh, like, say, like an earthquake or some other atrocity or even more persecution than they were already experiencing or some other local event in some other part of the world. It has to be speaking of a global event that appears over time for a season that affects the whole world. Okay, again, if that's not the rapture and the seven-year tribulation, I don't know what I don't know what is. Okay, and, and again, uh, the promise is what that the church is going to be exempted from these trials. Okay, uh, from this specific trial, the seven-year tribulation. Okay, and, and, and think about it; it has to be. If, if all Jesus was talking about here was I'm going to save you from a, a general trial down the road, what, what kind of an encouraging promise is this? I mean, is he really saying like, hey, I tell you what, guys, I really want to encourage you now for standing strong for me. See, you're going through a general trial right now. You're being persecuted and having some hard times. But I'm going to reward your faithfulness by keeping you from one general trial later in the future. Woo-hoo. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And plus it denies the context. No, it's not a general trial around Philadelphia. It's a global event that lasts for a season of time. Okay? But if, in fact, Jesus is talking about never to be put under God's wrath, and having to endure the worst time in the history of mankind nonstop for seven years of hell on earth, um, that would encourage you. It encourages me. Okay? And again, he uses specific language that says you are going to specifically be yanked out of that time frame. And that's where it says that the phrase there, keep you from. It's a very explicit term. It's the Greek word tereo ek. And tereo ek means a keeping out of. A keeping, listen, keeping separated from completely, okay, mm-hmm. is what he's saying there. Now, now let me give you some analogies to expand on what Jesus is really promising the church there. What, what, let me, and, and I'm going to use this word tereo ek, and, and what does it mean, right? Uh, let me give you a couple analogies. First of all, there's what's called the war analogy, right? Uh, and, and, of course, we had a, a World War II, and that was a time of trouble, right, for you know much of the world there, obviously. And, but suppose you lived on earth prior to the beginning of World War II, and you were given this promise. You will be kept from the trial of World War II. Well, that means you're not going to face any of the bullets or the bombs or the battles of the war. And, uh, now, but perhaps you could be located in part of the world, but not directly involved in the conflict, you know, some place in Timbuktu. You, you, you could still be in the world, but protected from the war. But, but that's not the promise. What if you were given the promise, you will be kept from the time of World War II. Now, for that to be fulfilled, you could not be on planet Earth during the entire period from all the years of World War II. To be exempt from the time is to be absent from the time that takes place. This is Torah Oek, and this is what Jesus is talking about here. You're not even going to be on the planet. You are going to be completely separated, not just from the planet, from the time of this seven-year tribulation. Let me give you a couple other quick analogies. To be kept out of jail means that the person will not be behind bars. To be kept out of the swimming pool means the person is exempt from even getting wet, not even a drop of water. To be kept out of the army means the person is not allowed in the army, and you're not going to ever serve in the army. You're not going to see any action whatsoever. If a basketball player was kept out of the entire ball game, guess what? He didn't play at all. 
You didn't see any action. If a sign on a person's property said, keep out, that means that the person did not want you on his property at all. He didn't want your uh, presence there at all. Moses was kept out of the uh, uh, promised land, which means he didn't enter at all. To be kept out of the hour of trial, Revelation 3.10, that will come upon all the world, means the person who is recipient of this promise will not enter that time at all. He will be exempt from that time, which means he cannot be present on earth during that time since it is a global event. In fact, let me give you another one. This is why the absence of the church is why you see another interesting thing that goes on. Uh, the word church, right? You could be like, oh, the church. I see the church. It's all about the church. The church is in there. I see this. Wait a second. Let's take a look at another interesting thing. The word church is used in the book of Revelation uh, repeatedly. In fact, it's used 20 times. Now, here's what's interesting. It's used 19 times in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, prior to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Right? 19 times. He's talking about the church, this church, that, and he used the word church, ecclesia, over and over, not one time, not nine times, 19 times. So John's very familiar with this word church. When he is talking to the church, when Jesus is talking to the church, when he wants this address to the church, he uses the word church in the book of Revelation over and over again, first three chapters, 19 times. You know how many times it occurs, Revelation chapter 4 through 19, the events that deal with the uh, seven-year tribulation? Zero. No. Zero. None. And you don't only see it one more time in, uh, after the second coming, uh, uh, takes place, which is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, after it's already over with. That's it. So, wait a second. If God really meant for the church to be in there, then how come he uses the word church 19 times before, but he never uses it once during the seven-year tribulation, ever once, not even once, and then he uses it again after it's all over with? i got a problem with that. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why do you keep squeezing the church in the time frame when the Bible is very clear the church is not a Pointed onto that, and, and, and let me close with this, guys. It's, it's, it's a really good way to put it. One guy said this. He said most of American, Americans are well aware of what happened on December 7, 1941. It was a day that will live in infamy: the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor, inflicting heavy casualties on the U.S. Navy and crippling the Pacific Fleet. And most people also know what happened on December 8, 1941. President Roosevelt called on Congress to make a formal declaration of war against Japan and the Axis powers of Germany and Italy. However, most people don't know what happened on December 9, 1941. President Roosevelt issued an order calling all of the U.S. ambassadors home from Japan, Germany, and Italy. Why? Because before he unleashed the full wrath of the American military right. machine on these nations, he wanted to make sure that no American civilians were in harm's way. The wrath of America was for her enemies, not her own people. And in the same way, before God declares war on this godless world at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation for seven years nonstop, unleashing his unmitigated ongoing wrath, he will call his ambassadors home, the church, because his wrath Amen. is not for the citizens of his kingdom. His wrath is for the world. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for this this conversation. It was very enlightening, and Woo! we just want to. Uh, what was that? <laughs> we just want to. Um, that was me just saying, "Wow, that was a <laughs> lot there." And I, you know, after this, I don't think anybody can say anything else based but, off of what the scripture says. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah, and don't forget to go to getalifemedia.com. 
So check out um, Pastor Billy's DVDs and videos. Um, you can also check out his YouTube. Uh, just search Billy Crone and you'll find it. Um, there, there are plenty of uh, DVDs and documentaries that he's done. He's done some on drones, apologetics, um, so much. Uh, the, the, the creationism, it's a lot of information. And as you, as you heard tonight, there's so much to gather and, and dissect. So we just want to thank you, Pastor Billy, for coming on and um, enlightening everybody about this subject called the rapture. Hey, thank you, guys. Uh, glory goes to God, and uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, and Rory, uh, send me a text when that pizza gets here. Okay, will do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, guys. All right, All right good bye night. Bye. All right, good night. All right, people, that's our show. we got 30 seconds left. Any last words, Rory? Quickly. Well, I, I, I think we were just blessed immensely by um, the teaching that he uh, went through on um, Revelation and pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, all of those things that people have been saying for years. I think it was just very enlightening. enlightening. All right. So good night, everyone. That is it for tonight. Check us out on YouTube.